Hi, I'm Mike Phil. Yeah, I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Generic Ad. Join us every Wednesday as we talk about films that seem to be forgotten by audiences, whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the film, maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. You never know, you might find your own forgotten gem. Forgotten Cinema is available wherever you get your podcasts or at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are a proud part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. I swear I talk more in the episodes. Hello there. I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds that met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where each week we discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. From the sands of Tatooine to the levels of Coruscant, we cover it all. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. I'm a blurred with a love for artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a writer and blurred with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent most of our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a DC production, compare it to its original source material, and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This season, we'll put a shock to our system by covering Static Shock, the animated series on... Yet another DC animated podcast. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC Animated Podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That was the year the Damon Waynes and Adam Sandler action buddy cop comedy Bulletproof was released. Oh my God. Yep. <laughs> yep. One of them is an undercover officer. I'm not going to tell you who, but one of them is secretly mm-hmm. a cop. And it... <laughs> And do you know how this uh, comedy did uh, by Rotten Tomatoes? How did it, I mean, it's got to be better than better than Shaq Steel. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, I'm not so sure because this one has an eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> I take that back. I think Shaq Steel is at twelve percent. So <laughs> holy crap! <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will certify. But yeah, that is a uh, the buddy cop comedy, and it's. Yeah. Yes, I can confirm Steel has a 12%. So it still <laughs> ranks higher than this bulletproof cop action undercover movie. But why are we talking about cops? Well, because we're talking about these next couple episodes, the seven and eight of season two of Static Shock. We're talking about Pop's girlfriend in episode seven and then Bad Stretch in episode eight. Now, both of these episodes they talk about, as you could probably figure out from our first title episode, Pop's got a new girlfriend coming to the spot, and there's going to be a little bit of awkwardness amongst the Hawkins home. And then in Bad Stretch, we got Rubber Band Man is back, and we also find out he's got a little bit of tough, you know, family issues. So today's episode is a combination of them. We're going to call it Tough Love. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Tough Love. I love it. And and thematically, both of the shows do have police officers as key points of the plot. One a lot less than the other, but they both do have it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so these two episodes in total, we have our main static cast. They're all back right here. 
And then we got special guest stars Nestor Carbonell, who later actually becomes Anthony Garcia in the Dark Knight trilogy. Oh. And funny thing, his name is Officer Garcia in the show. So I'm just going to put it out there. Static and Nolan's um, Dark Knight trilogy universe, all the same thing. All canon. Yep. Just going to put it out there. Yep. I don't see any problems with that. All right. Then we have Cheryl Lee Rolfe, a.k.a. D, or the mom from Moesha. She's here playing Officer Trina Jessup, who is also Pop's girlfriend in this episode. Wrapping it up, we also got Bumper Robinson. This man, should I hope he got paid well. He has voiced several characters in this series. <laughs> um, he's here as Royce Axelrod in the same Pop's girlfriend episode. And then wrapping it up, we got Kadeem Hardison is back as Robert Bandman. But so is the rest of the meta breed as we have... Evil Hawk Girl, aka Talon, by played by Tia Tahada, Gary Sturgis as Ebon, Rian Tochi as Shift, aka Lightning Blade McGee. We have newcomer and novella actress Erica Velez, who's voicing Aquamaria, which I gotta say is a pretty dope name for no, no need to workshop that one. No, you're good. No, no running jumps here. And uh I, I do <laughs> oh I do miss I do miss Bigafoot this week, but you know it's <laughs> I'll get over it. I'll get over it. Because <laughs> you always have, have a an- place in the heart. <laughs> <laughs> and another one of my favorites is here anyway. <laughs> have Matt Ballard back is Carmen Dillo, y'all. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> All right. So we're going to open it up now with Pop's girlfriend in a normal day of Dakota. Yeah. So we have right away, we get two, two young people hop in the turnstile in a very interesting method. Um, not saying I have ever, ever hopped the turnstile in my life. But I wouldn't I wouldn't do it the way they did. What do you think about their subway turnstile hopping method? Oh, like this whole thing was just so unorthodox. Like just <laughs> seeing them hop into turnstiles was like, that's that's weird. Like you don't you don't do it. Not just because of the lawful illegalness of the nature, but just in general, just it looked weird. Yeah, it it the 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 subway sounds were really a hundred percent accurate. Bing and- bong. Yeah, yeah, you heard it. <laughs> there were big bunks in there. But yeah, for some reason, the turnstile thing. But once they jump on the turnstile, they meet a security guard businessman who has a suitcase handcuffed to his hand that for some reason, he decides to unhandcuff itself on the subway. Bro. Yeah. Also, <laughs> why was he even taking the subway? <laughs> <laughs> what i feel like if you could pay someone to take a briefcase and handcuff it to their hand you can at least pay for their car service but also i i don't know what was happening here yeah it uh, just no reason there was no reason for him to do this but because he did it the the young men get away with the suitcase and that sets off a bunch of officers nearby meanwhile virgil is using a payphone which is only weird because in a previous episode he shows that he doesn't need phones anymore. But oh, oh yeah. <laughs> for some reason, they just wanted him in a payphone to have like I get it. You wanted the scene of static shot coming out of the payphone as a nice Superman homage, but mm. it was a weird, weird thing to see. Yeah, so he flies off, makes a little quick quip to the um citizens of Dakota, asking him, like, what they've never seen a superhero use a payphone. And as he's flying off, we have our aforementioned teenagers, Royce and Frankie. I think that was their names. 
they are checking out the contents of the briefcase. They get it open and they see that there's this like purplish liquid in vials inside of it. And they're like, yo, and I, I love this line because it's just like typical, like old school kind of like New Jack City kind of vibe to it. It's just like, yo, let's turn this purple into green. And <laughs> as they are closing back up the suitcase because they hear some cop cars on the next alley over, which is really just a surprising coincidence, Virgil is changing out of his static uniform. Two cops who were driving by, officers Garcia and Jessup, there they pass by and they see Virgil coming out of the alleyway with his backpack. And the first thing that Officer Jessup says is that he's got a backpack, and I'm guessing it's because they're looking for Royce and Frankie, who are also seen leaving the scene with a backpack. Yeah, so right here is probably what's going to make this episode so right away so important because Mm -hmm. Virgil walking around with the backpack is instantly profiled by by police and they do explore it later but on the surface of this you know he fits the description that and and for, for that reason they are asking questions and in this interesting approach to it that is so so layered and so smart the the writers put virgil in a situation where in his backpack is his static shot costume so he cannot let the police officer see that for obvious reasons so he does have to run from police and he you know this this run is it's unpacked later but it is such a this this short exchange of like why am i being stopped why Mm -hmm. because i fit the description you know that kind of thing is so so important so vital of course it still happens and it it does set up such great drama later on and Virgil runs back home and he gets there safely and he has to now meet his father's new girlfriend that Sharon is not happy about it either yeah and Virgil isn't going to be happy about it either because even though his dad is on cloud nine flying higher than we've ever seen static fly once the door opens we see that is officer Jessup who is affectionately known as Trina by um Robert Hawkins here and Upon seeing each other, this is when Virgil and Officer Jessup immediately recognize each other. She even comments and says that, yes, we have already met. And this is when it all blows up where Virgil or uh, Officer Jessup has to tell Robert that, yeah, Virgil was at the scene of um, was being held by the police for a short period of time. Um, He was asked for to be for his bag to be checked and then unfortunately he just ran away and robert goes off like i think we for the better part of this series has seen robert to be a very calm and level-headed man even when he was going toe-to-toe against richie's father during the racism episode but you can hear his fear a little bit in his voice because even though he's angry He's more upset over the fact that Virgil ran because it means that it is a strong possibility that his son could have lost his life that day because he ran away from the cops. He's here thinking this entire time he's raised his son to be good, not knowing that, yes, he has. He's fully has. But now because Virgil has no way to really answer his dad about why he didn't show off his his backpack, Robert decides to go and try to see if he can open it and find it himself. Um, Unfortunately, like much teenagers and i'm pretty sure like myself now 
when packing away all the stuff that he had originally laid out, he just he never really truly organized it. Everything was just shoved into his closet. So everything fell on top of Robert. Just at this point, he just seemed he had that angry defeat. I don't, that's really the only way I can describe it. He was just like, I'm done. I don't want to talk about this with you anymore. But Virgil now knows that he is, to quote Robert, beyond grounded. Because not only is he seeing that his son put himself in danger, but also the fact that his son being profiled in this way to someone that now Robert cares about. It's a it's a it's so many levels of emotion right here that I you know, you never really seen from Robert in previous episodes. But I'm kind of glad that we got a chance to see it in this like 20 minutes. It's like crazy jam packed, but it all works so well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, agreed. It's so angry. Angriest we have ever seen him. He's disappointed with his son. He's mad that his relationship is now completely torpedoed because Sharon wasn't a fan of Trina anyway. So yeah. now <laughs> any hope that this could move forward is dashed in this moment. And we'll we'll definitely unpack more of this moment later. But the show keeps rolling with some great stuff after Richie, because Virgil is now grounded. And Mm -hmm. we get the shot of him looking at his costume in his backpack, which is great. Like that mournful look. But because he's now grounded, he can't go to the talent show where Richie is going to be singing Destiny's Child. Uh, (laughs) What what member of Destiny's Child is Richie going to do? Oh, hands down, he's going to be Michelle. Like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or who are the other two that that left? (laughs) (laughs) One of the ones we forget about. Right, yeah. And while they're talking about this talent show that Virgil will no longer be going to, Trina stops by in the cop car and says, can we talk? Mm-hmm. And they go to a restaurant. <sighs> Such a This setup is perfect because they go to the restaurant to eat in a very public place. And mm-hmm. every single person in the restaurant is looking over. Why is Virgil eating with a, a cop? That That's all the commentary you need. On I do that. also want to point out that the uh, the restaurant was a burger fool, too. So not only keeping with the canon of the show, but if you think about it this way, burger fool is a lot like maybe your typical McDonald's, uh, your typical Burger King or something like that. So, I mean, I, I remember growing up whenever I saw a cop eating inside of uh, a fast food joint, I instantly tensed up a little bit. And that's just being a black man. So you could just imagine what it's like for the city of Dakota, where even though we've seen a lot of episodes where a lot of the there's a lot of diversity in Dakota, majority of the people who are eating in that rest in that fast food joint the restaurant at that moment is probably a person of color seeing another person of color talking to a cop, even though this cop is also a person of color. They just see the cop uniform and Im- immediately think about all right what's going down yeah and it's you're you it's just an automatic on their guard and everyone's mm-hmm. looking to see what's how this is going to go and it doesn't go well because trina reinforces that virgil fit the description of the person he was she was looking for and also asks like do you have do you know if you have any information about what happened so again there's this assumption of guilt it's not unfounded it's not trina has a certain degree of of suspicion that is credible. You know, he did run. He did. He was in the area where something had happened. But we do know that a lot of this is rooted in systematic assumptions and and stereotypes and biases. So it's not it. Trina is wrong, but they make it so layered that it's not a Mm -hmm. simple issue of 
this cop is just hateful for hateful sake. So I really right. appreciated all of that complexity to it. And, and again, they didn't have to go this hard, but they did. <laughs> there are some adult shows that can't handle this with as much subtlety. So it, it's incredible to see. And while Virgil is trying to navigate all this, we get back to some of the superhero stuff because Royce and uh, who's the other guy? And Frankie. Yeah, they uh they're over at the school. Um, Royce tells Frankie that he needs to check out the um, the papers that they found inside the briefcase because one of the things that we learned during the conversation between Officer Jessup and, and Virgil while at Burger Fool was that the contents of the briefcase contained, what was it, like a very concentrated strain of the Bang Baby Serum. So this uh, liquid was going to be taken over to scientists to get studied so that there is a possibility of, you know, possibly finding the cure. And this is like kind of like the first time we're really hearing about like, all right, they're doing some work to figure out how to save citizens of Dakota who were afflicted by this whole incident. And as she mentions this, she also mentions that unfortunately the liquid is very unstable, that it's only going to be in a liquid form until 24 hours from now. So three o'clock tomorrow of the next day, you know, we're as Virgil quoted as, you know, we're going to have the Big Bang Part 2, um, Electric Boogaloo. So now that he's worried about, you know, not only that his, he doesn't know where this Bang Baby gas is going to come from. Um, you know, he can't go out to try to see patrols to see if he can find any remnants of it anywhere. But we now know that Royce and Frankie have it because they have found out that it is the Bang Baby Serum. And Royce is just like ecstatic about it because he's like, yo, we saw what happened with F-Stop or Francis. I'm sorry. I don't know why I try to call him by his street name. We saw what happened with Francis and how he became hot streak. You know, it. they're thinking, well, at least Royce is thinking. I could become somebody as big and powerful as he is. But Frankie really doesn't want any of it. And as he's trying to pull the serum away from Royce, we see a couple drops of it fall into a wastebasket. But we now get a little bit of foreshadowing because not only do we see a spider making its way down into the wastebasket where the Bangberry serum has spilled, we also see a giant cockroach. Like, it was already big Mm -hmm. before it got turned. And then... (laughs) It, it got bigger and i did not like it yeah these these uh I, I thought they were in new york city for a second this episode you know the subway the roaches like it had it all back to the quieter scene yeah so virgil uses his powers in this innovative way where he's listening through his vents to mm-hmm. a conversation that robert is having with trina downstairs and trina for her part she says i don't want to mess up this family dynamic sharon doesn't like me I got on the way the wrong foot with Virgil. I don't foresee how we can move forward. And Virgil's really kind of taking it in for the first time that, you know, his father does want to have his own life, but obviously he's in a a no-win scenario. Yeah. And to make things even worse, he gets a call from Richie that the bugs are out here and they are big. And they are bigger than ever. There is a giant-ass spider and a giant-ass roach terrorizing Dakota. And I'm going to give it to Richie. He tried to throw hands <laughs> with a giant cockroach. And let me tell you, on, a, on most days, I don't want to deal with a regular cockroach at all. So the fact, <laughs> and we do say cockroach. I, I don't want anybody complaining. Cockroach. And <laughs> <laughs> when he, he does go, this thing could eat him in one bite. And he is just trying his best to do what he can. But it, it's just Richie. So it, it doesn't work out too well. But luckily, Static arrives on the scene. 
to do some bug zapping. Yeah, and quickly gets rid of them, gets rid of, I don't know, the giant cockroach from Men in Black. Right. Oh, yeah. And, and Aragog. That's <laughs> the only way I can think of them now. Um, but yeah, he gets rid of them. But now Virgil has to head back home. He is eating dinner with his father and Sharon. And it's real quiet. Like, drop a you drop a fork and you might you might get in trouble kind of quiet. As Sharon finally starts complaining about how quiet it is, Robert goes off and he's finally sharing some stuff about himself. You know, he took the time to really attend to his kids after their mother died. And, you know, that was that was years. And for all those years, Virgil and Sharon have been telling him that you need to get back out there. You know, you need to live your life. And he says that, you know, now that I got an opportunity to do so, the first thing you do is basically just shove her away. And at first, Virgil is just like, he didn't really felt like he didn't do anything, but he's like thinking about it again, just from the conversation that he overheard. As now Robert storms off. So now we just have to jump back to school the next day where Virgil is taking a a history test. Like I, I have a question about this because is this the same test? From the last episode that that um, basically got held off because of the sunspots. And then, you know, like Francis basically burned down the school. Is this the finally rescheduled history test that, that Virgil was supposed to take this whole time? I think so. I think it's the okay. same test. I think they're still stuck around midterms or after midterms. Mm. And it doesn't matter because it's going to get interrupted again. Because <laughs> in a Royce already came in and he was jacked. He wanted. He yeah. heard about our most jacked competition that we do here every week, and he won because he won. He's Clearly stacked. Won. He's jacked. But unfortunately, the mutations don't stop there. And in a horrifying scene, Royce in the middle of class just mutates into this inhuman being, this hulking blue, purple monstrosity, and yeah. it is horrifying. It looks painful. He just doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. And the only thing that Virgil can do is find he he actually does something pretty smart, which I'm I'm shocked that it was just again such quick thinking, I guess, from just um a year plus time of just heroism. But he runs over to Frankie, knowing that Royce and Frankie roll together, and it's just like, you guys took the briefcase, where's the serum? Because this place is about to be turned into, you know, Mutant High, the sequel or something like that. As Frankie tells him where it is, Virgil runs out, making sure to evacuate every single person in the school. And then he goes over to, I guess, the the administrative office. And earlier in the episode, during their conversation at Burger Fool, Trina gives him a card and tells him, if you ever find out anything, you know, just call this number. And he does so. And he alerts her to the fact that Royce has mutated due to the the, the serum. And now the the whole thing is starting to fall apart here at the school. So officers Garcia and Jessup are heading over. Virgil goes over to change it to static. And he's able to find the locker where Royce has kept the big bang serum in his, in it the entire time, which I gotta, I gotta say that was a really, really bad look Royce. Like I feel like in any kind of locker check, you, you would have (laughs) been locked up real quick. Oh yeah. Yeah. This was, but luckily he did keep it in his locker because he found it quickly. And that is very true, I guess. (laughs) And static crumples up this locker and throws it into space. Mm -hmm. Not unlike Fast and Furious, Virgil (laughs) sent this thing to space. And um, there was no, there was no Tyrese up there, but 
he did set off a huge explosion, making sure the gas is safely out of the way. And I know some might think this was his scene of shock and destruction. I just want to reiterate that earlier he did destroy the football goalpost when oh, getting rid of yes. the spider. Yes, so yes, yes. that's going to cause more damage. This locker, relatively not a problem. But Static comes back down to help out with Royce and again he doesn't want to attack Royce running theme with static he doesn't want to hurt anybody who clearly Mm -hmm. is not in control and two officers show up to help him which leads to the funniest scene in this in this thing because Royce uh, momentarily knocks aside static Mm -hmm. and an officer says static they pull static to safety and he says you stay here I'm gonna go help he goes over and immediately gets knocked out. <laughs> Hilarious. And, yo, even Static was looking at him just like, are you serious right now? <laughs> Bro. But I, luckily, though, we had Officer Jessup. She pepper sprays Royce in the face to distract him long enough from hitting Static or Officer Garcia even further. And she's just going basically toe-to-toe with Royce, dodging hits being able to move out the way, trying to distract him long enough just for Static to regain some consciousness here for himself, grab a one of the drapes in the um, in the auditorium, wraps Royce around in it, and then uses that to distract him long enough away from Officer Jessup so that he can get his attention and get him outside. Static is able to use his electricity to grab Royce and put him up against the statue and then bend the statue's arms around him, trapping him there. As now Static is talking with Officer Trina and they are just kind of like reconciling a little bit here. But, you know, she doesn't know that it's Virgil, but, you know, Virgil's now just like, he feels like he's in much better graces with Officer Jessup than he was originally. Yeah, and and then it's further followed by a scene where Virgil is publicly recognized for his efforts, which rarely happens. So it's yeah. also a nice scene in general. And he's praised for his quick action and as well as the, the brave officer, because let's face <laughs> it, only Trina was doing anything. Yes. And this is a moment of reconciliation between Robert and, and Trina. Mm-hmm. Sharon's there. And in a great, in a great hilarious ending Virgil's like look pops see what I did he's like I'm s-, and Robert goes I'm so proud of you <laughs> you still grounded though <laughs> and that's where, that's where Damn, we go. can you just imagine that though like I saved the whole school and I still can't even go nowhere <laughs> so sad so tragic so that there wraps up our first episode of pops girlfriend now we're gonna move on over to bad stretch we're back at the gas station of solitude where virgil and richie are hanging out and virgil's doing that um taking some wire i don't remember what it was called but i remember we used to do this a lot when we were kids like we take like some like some string cat's, cat's cradle thank you yes mm-hmm. he's like showing it off to richie saying that he's got this new move where it's called the uh the nova burst and it's basically a ball of light that he creates from his hands that travels around the wires that he's messing around with. And my biggest question about this is, how is this any different from the Nova Bomb? Uh, the name. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay. <laughs> all right. I see the difference now. It's all clear. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and luckily, he does have this. And also, Richie also reveals a new device, a small, little compact 
transmitter tracker device that you can put on anything and static using his powers can hear it at a frequency that presumably nobody else would notice, which is a really cool, really cool invention. Yeah. Also, Richie, why are you poor? You may have this. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> also, this is an after school project for him. But yeah. there's Steve Jobs out here. Like, <laughs> come on, Mr. Musk, get on it. <laughs> and it's lucky he has both these new devices because the MetaBreed is back. Bootleg Hot mm-hmm. Girl, Aqua Maria, Lightning Blade McGee, they're all out there, but only Aqua Maria is the center of attention. So, static. As has been established a lot of times, can short out, and so mm-hmm. Aquamaria is a huge problem for him, and he does short out. But luckily, Rubberband Man bounces in and completely just owns Aquamaria pretty instantly. Yeah, homeboy comes through. He seems like an old, like a real superhero now as he wraps up Aquamaria and turning himself basically into a water balloon, and this knocks her out and. As Rubberband Man is talking with the cops, Static is just like, yo, are we, is this another fight? Like, he's, he's like, just ready to take down Rubberband Man once again. But then this is where Rubberband Man reveals that what that now he has been released from prison. He served his time after everything that happened with the, um, the record producer from last season and his escape from last season as well. He's ready to go and talk with everybody and really be a true hero. And even the cops are signing off on this they're saying that yeah he's been working with us for a couple of weeks or months now and it's been it's been great which immediately gives static a little bit of jealousy right here because he's just like you know rubber band man was one of his first villains that he had to fight and to see that he's you know turned over he doesn't believe it at first so he's still thinking that like there's something up with him also i i I just want to point out one of the officers goes nice try static Continuing the background characters being the best, but also, <laughs> where the hell do you get off, bro? What, 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 what would you have done against Aquamaria? Random <laughs> officer number six. Had to get that so, off my chest. <laughs> so, I, I, I can tell. No, no, I, I can hear it. <laughs> now I got a, the next question that has to be like, who do you detest more, Officer Garcia or this guy? <laughs> this guy, because at least Officer Garcia tried it. You know, I can respect <laughs> the man who tries it. But this guy did nothing. <laughs> so we head on back now to the Metabreed hideout. They've—I uh, don't know if I'll call this an upgrade. They're like at a carnival with some animatronic animals. It's definitely a Chuck E. Cheese. It's okay. It's yeah. It's definitely a Chuck E. Cheese. Okay, cool. <laughs> I wanted to be sure. So Carmen Dillo is—you know—he's basically the busboy here. <laughs> he's coming through with the lattes. He's like asking Yvonne how's he like his uh, milk and sugar in his latte. But Ebon is tight because he's just like, you know, we really wanted to get Aquamaria in the in the meta breed. You know, I, honestly, I wouldn't. I agree with him. I mean, her power set is crazy. So and as he's getting angry over the fact that Aquamaria got caught by static, this is where Lightning Blade McGee of just saying that, nah, it wasn't static. It was actually over Batman. And Ebon just goes off. He's trashing everything in sight because he's just really upset. We don't really know why. But we do hear from Talon and Shiv or like, you know, the two of them that Ebon has his reasons for being upset about Rubber Band Man. Yeah. And speaking of Rubber Band Man, he's enjoying his fame. He's going to be on Variety Night Live, yo. Variety Night Live. (laughs) And 
It's like, guys, come on. Look, two more minutes on the names. And he is surrounded by fans <laughs> and just so busy. But he gets a call from Sharon. And this is a nice continuation of the previous storyline where him and Sharon were dating. Mm-hmm. And she tries to get his attention. But he's so, Rubber Band Man is so immersed in fame and he's just so distracted that he kind of blows his shot a little bit right here with Sharon again. And of course, Virgil is ecstatic because he doesn't like rubber band man for any reason like any other like any good you know younger brother and as rubber band man tries to chill in his ridiculously spacious and expensive condo on who was paying for this the city maybe the cops i don't know i've never listened i know he ain't getting no right and he ain't getting no gigs at least as far as i know because like we haven't heard about any new music from stringer like what's going royalties. on? Royalties. Royalties. Oh, that's what royalties. It is, okay, probably. that makes more sense. Okay. Yeah, they've been playing his song a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's Bigger Foot. Up cooler than cold. <laughs> <laughs> Him and Bigfoot had a uh, collab. It's doing oh really my gosh. well. This, the album we wanted release the Bigfoot stringer cut now. <laughs> Let's go. That's the petition. And while he's at home chilling, Ebon comes in. And we find out they're related. They are mm-hmm. they are brothers. And Rubber Man Man makes a great comment about like anytime I tried to follow what you were doing, you took what you told me to do, I ended up worse. And Ebon is just insisting that Rubber Man Man's only gonna have success with him. He wants him back in the Metabreed crew. And in a nice moment, I noticed here, and they, this does come up later, which is a great design point from that they put in from the beginning of the show that rubber band man and ebon have similar heads they have these similar um mm. little too many arcs on their head and right right so even subconsciously they were telling us the entire time these two characters were related in some way which is cool or, or an illustrator messed up so this <laughs> and they just ran with it <laughs> <laughs> this also completely shatters y'all my my previous theory that uh what's his name the dude that first gave Virgil the gun back in the first episode was actually Ebon. Yeah, this um, completely tears out of the part. <laughs> because now we know officially that Ebon's real name is um, is Evan, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have Evan and Adam here. Or Ivan, sorry. It's I- Ivan. Right. I- Adam, wow, I just realized Adam and Ivan Evans. That is... Ebon e- kind of drew the short, <laughs> the short straw on that one. <laughs> Yeah, and I see why you changed it to Ebon. And <laughs> so, yeah, so Rubber Band Man refuses his brother's invitation, but the Metabreed isn't deterred. They go and decide to steal the Game Station 2, the biggest console of the year, at the biggest electronic store to ever exist. Like this electronic <laughs> store, the first floor was like a football field. This thing Word. is huge. <laughs> Word. I'm what surprised they even thing? found the Game Station 2. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, what is going on? And Static comes in to face face them off. Bootleg Hot Girl reveals she can do a a canary cry that is like in shatter glass and and devices. And Static is in a little bit of trouble here. He's a little bit outclassed for the first time in this gigantic warehouse VCR store. And Rubber Band Man luckily bounces in again. And Static taking lessons from Batman, he's like, I work alone. That's that's my thing. 
but Rubber Band Man isn't having it, and he jumps into the battle. Yeah, and it's a really good one here, too, uh, for all of three seconds, really, because they do get separated Static and Rubber Band Man as Shiv comes through. He creates a baseball with his with his hand, a baseball bat with his hands, and knocks out Rubber Band Man, sending him to another room flying, leaving Static to deal with the three um, members of the Metabreed. As Rubber Band Man wakes up and he sees that his brother Ebon is now walking around with him, stalking him in terms of like telling him that he needs to stay out of his business as the two start arguing. But we cut back now to Static. He's taking out the Metabreed one by one. And as he finally is able to do so, uh, there's a really funny little scene of um, Carmen Dillo trying to run away, but he wasn't, he wasn't going to get far. <laughs> no, Carmen Dillo had no shot. I, I also <laughs> did like that when Talon used the sonic sh- her sonic shriek, Static... Um, mm, yes, that was a beautiful scene. Yeah. yeah, pulled up the mics and like mm-hmm. the feedback knocked her out. Mm-hmm. And he mentions, and I love this moment too, because he mentions Batman would have had real earplugs. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, but Nightwing doesn't wear a full mask. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> who knows? But... So- <laughs> That's yeah, the battle. I mean, <laughs> you got a lot of issues with Nightwing's mask, man. <laughs> I'll never give it up. <laughs> so Static heads on over to the back room where Rubber Band Man was sent. He sees Ebon and him talking. And as Static pulls out, he's ready to use the um the this the you know basically using all the light that's put around him to weaken Ebon. This is when Rubber Band Man jumps on top of Ebon and giving him an opportunity to escape. And this leads into an argument between Static and Rubber Band Man. Rubber Band Man clearly did it for a reason as we know that they're, they're, they're related. He's protecting his brother. But he puts off the, the idea that he only did it because he, he just judged it wrong. He just made the wrong call. He thought that um, you know, he could probably could have captured him there. But not only is he thinking that he could have captured him, we also see this whole moment get captured on camera. As in our next scene, back at the Hawkins home, Virgil and Richie are watching the report from number one reporter of Dakota, Shelly Sandoval, who is showing this recording of the fight, a rubber band man jumping on top of Ebon, protecting him from Static's attack. And now this leads into the question of, is Robert Ben and truly a good guy? Has we have we all been duped this entire time by Adam Evans? Yeah, and the Dakota police, they're like, yep. And <laughs> <laughs> they immediately go to his apartment, which I emphasize is gigantic because Robert Ben Man is able to stretch his neck approximately the length of half the building and mm-hmm. to go to another window. So that tells me your apartment is huge as hell, bro. Like get me a, a real your realtor and the police is there because the metabree got broken out last night and somebody in a purple costume who can stretch to unnatural lengths was responsible and by all accounts it looks like rubber man man was there we saw the purple costume we saw him breaking out the metabree is mm-hmm. this the agreement he had with his brother so rubber band man manages to escape the apartment and he hides in Virgil's house as furniture again. Another great callback. <laughs> and he's trying to talk to Sharon, but Virgil isn't having any of it. He just refuses to 
just believe take take rubber band man's word for it and he in this exchange he realizes that you know there's more to rubber band man than he thinks that mm-hmm. his his brother is ebon and you know they are related and that's why the instinct to protect which virgil immediately gets so virgil decides to track rubber band man and ebon because he's so damn smart figured that rubber band man would go to virgil's house so he waits nearby mm-hmm. scoops rubber band man up as static puts on the tracker so he can go and find rubber band man yeah and static's able to quickly find them using the sound the higher frequency so he ends up at the abandoned chuck e cheese and he overhears Ebon inviting over Bandman basically to the Meta Breed as a new member of the gang. All of them are ecstatic about it. We got Shiv, Talon, Carmandillo, and Aquamaria who are all there. And Rubber Bandman is just like, I never agreed to any of this. Like, I'm not joining your gang. But more importantly, I'm still trying to figure out why they think that I broke you guys out. And it just so happened that as Virgil's listening in on this, he actually pulls up a, fl- uh, a roof board. I don't know what they're called. A shing- shingle? I don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's all full of asbestos at this cheese. Doesn't matter. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so he pulls up one and he actually somehow Ebon decides to hide the suit up in the rafters here. And as Static hears that like rubber band man is still unsure about this, He's now confirming to himself that, like, okay, Rubber Man's actually on the side of good. So I'm gonna go help him out as he enters into the into the room that they're all in, reveals the suit, throws it at Ebon. And this is when an entire battle breaks out with the first thing happening, which I'm really shocked to see the extent of Ebon's powers because I never really thought about it this way. So I always used to think that Ebon is just able to teleport himself and it's just like, or just like travel around shadows, you know, still it's just quickly, but still taking some time. No, Ebon is able to create portals to anywhere as he creates a portal to what looked like the center of the earth or at least the bottom of a volcano as he pushes Static in it and Static is basically fall about to fall into some, about like a bed of magma. Yeah, Ebon was trying to merc static on site. Words immediately. <laughs> Words. And I, I, I love the ruthlessness, and you know it's, it's triggered by his this relationship with his brother completely dissolving. Mm-hmm. And luckily, Rubberman Man reaches through the portal fast enough to catch Static, pull him back through for the final fight. And I did want to mention that during the exchange between Ebon and his brother. They do have this great line where they go, um, once they slap a bad guy label on you, that's forever. Yep. And another, just a, you know, there's a lot of really subtle moments of commentary in this episode, but that one is the best line where, you know, Rubber Band Man in the media has been vilified. He Mm -hmm. has a record. He is a black man. Mm -hmm. He is a musician. You know, there's a lot of stuff that they hit here of him being a celebrity and being accused of these crimes. And so, you know, Ebon rightly assumed that if he could frame his brother for one crime, that would turn him against everyone. So right. it, it was a great it's a great line. But right now they jump into the battle and it's time for Static to pull out the big guns, the cat's cradle. Yeah, he tells the rest of the Metabree that he was saving it for their boss, but he's going to use it on them. As he creates a giant 
burst of energy, the light blinds everyone, and he's now using the animatronic creatures from behind the carnival Chuck E. Cheese thing to capture them all. And the only person it doesn't work on is Aqua Maria, again, showing how crazy her power set is, because the light basically just went through her. But we get a moment of static science facts here, as static tell asked the question for not only Aqua Maria, but all of us. Do we know what electrolysis is? It is, as he says, the moment in which a current of electricity goes through water, breaking it down into the hydrogen and molecule, hydrogen and oxygen molecules that create it. And he does this to Aquamaria as she basically evaporates. And um, I honestly feel that if she didn't come back together from the random rain cloud that popped out of nowhere, he would have killed her. 100% yeah. killed her. Yeah, I think Virgil almost killed that woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hold like, it down, Virgil. <laughs> everyone's trying to kill somebody today. Mm-hmm. And now that the meta breed is down, even Carmen Dillo, the strongest of them all, Ebon and Rubber Band Man, <laughs> Ebon and Rubber Band Man have a great fight. Uh, it's wonderfully animated. They stretch, mm-hmm. they contort their bodies into all these shapes as they're fighting. But ultimately, Ebon comes out behind because Rubber Band Man wins, of course. And Rubber Band Man in a way you can tell that Static's rubbing off on him. He pledges to help Ebon to, mm-hmm. to see if he can rehabilitate his brother in the mm-hmm. future. And this, this moment, along with all the heroic actions he's seen, these two have a high five. And it is a great, like, to see where they started, to see where they are now, this high five is, is excellent. And that's the, the hopeful note we end on, that these two, they may not be Batman and Robin, or even falcon and the winter soldier but they might understand where each other is coming from in the future i also do want to point out one really well animated scene from the ebon and rubber band man fight we see again kind of like the full extent of their powers or band man more so being able to stretch long distances as does ebon and they contort themselves into this almost like double helix so i thought that was just like a really cool visual play on the fact that they're brothers and it's just like there's this shared dna among them so it's just like it makes sense for their fight to kind of turn into this double helix kind of look because it's just like we're going to find out who's the better, I don't know, the better chromosome or something, whatever it is. I, science facts that I'm blanking on right now. But I just thought it was really cool just to see them turn themselves into a double helix to show that, like, yeah, they share this very similar DNA. And for it to now kind of boil down to that final battle there was just like, and that visual effect was just so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, lo- I love that little detail. And again, you can tell there's a lot of same versus same battles out there mm-hmm. in, in a lot of superhero media. And they don't always take advantage of it. But here, full advantage. You know, their brothers, The just the metaphor of like seeing their DNA and their brothers like alone is incredible. So yeah, it, it's it's a great final fight. And it's a memorable one. It does leave me at the end of this episode wondering, does Virgil now have a cop as a stepmom and (laughs) a rapper musician slash superhero villain as a stepbrother? Is that where he ends these two episode arc? Is this this where it's all been leading up to? You know, I I believe it will. 
Um, you know, we head on back to the Hawkins home. Adam has arrived with some flowers to apologize to Sharon. And even though Virgil's joking that he'd rather face off against the whole meta breed, it seems like, you know, Adam's willing to give his thing with Sharon another shot. And, you know, I am hoping that we do get a chance to see more of Pop's girlfriend, um, Trina, here, because I think she's a she's a good balance for him from what we saw a little bit here. Like, you know, it's it's surprising to see that she was the one to make the to make the judgment call. It's just like, hey. I can see that my presence here is affecting your family. So I'm willing to take this shot at my happiness for the sake of your family, because this doesn't, you know, I don't want to try to push something that isn't going to work out and to see it finally work out in the end. That that's just great. But until then we have the better, more important question to ask, I should say of what was our best episode and what was our worst episode of this, uh, this time, man, this, this was the hardest this was the mm-hmm. hardest one to choose between because these are really two stellar episodes. Yeah. These are two, two, two episodes that talk about important issues. They, they grace important issues, pay off characters, but you know, but it can only be one. There can only be one. And Carmen Dillo is the deciding factor because <laughs> <laughs> as much as I love him, he, he, uh, it, it's gotta be, it's gotta be pop's girlfriend. The, the sheer amount of issues it call it covers from single parents remarrying to police profiling to what to do when a big ass spider shows up in your school. This this episode covers every <laughs> major issue you're going to run into. But seriously, it does in such a lot of modern shows when they want to talk about issues of of black policing, we often just get the narrative that the officer is bad. And that they're doing this for no reason. Mm-hmm. And that a black person is being profiled. And that the come up it's is the officer gets, you know, they get a great speech. They get like a Uncle Phil speech, or they get um this this comeuppance, and then that's the end. Mm-hmm. But we know that if this is the interaction, as we see in the real world, nothing changes. You know, the officer goes back and does this to somebody else because they their issue has their bias hasn't been challenged right. and for the person who was victimized they don't really get to see any change besides that momentary satisfaction the system is upheld so when you get something where the cop is presented as a three-dimensional character who makes mistakes who has biases they have to overcome and you see them challenge it and possibly bring that to their peers in the future that is a better and more optimistic thing it's important to show, of course, it's important to show policing and how it really happens, but it is more important to show how you change it. And I think the show, without without having to go through the, the minutia, mm-hmm. again, as we always say, in 20 minutes, shows that you have to sit down, you have to have conversations, otherwise nothing will ever change. These stories will keep repeating themselves. And to see the episode take a concentrated effort to have the officer meet with Virgil at the end, mm-hmm. not static, but Virgil speaks volumes. And I think that's what makes this so impactful, such an important episode. Damn, man. I was just about to give it to a bad stretch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Carmen Dillon was the deciding factor for me. <laughs> that VCR store, man. I, it's, it's huge. <laughs> I, I get it. it. You get lost the, in it. Yeah. The game station too. the most prized thing, 
past even PS5. <laughs> no, but I, I agree. I think that Pop's Girlfriend is a really strong episode because, again, it kind of shows more about static. You know, it's not just a, an episode where it's just like we see static saving the day all the time. There's an opportunity we saw Virgil step up and save the day. Which, you know, you don't really see a lot of superhero stuff do. Like, you know, a lot more recently, you know, we kind of blurred the lines of what is a secret identity for for someone. And, you know, a lot of the Marvel stuff is kind of like washed away the concept of secret identities. And, you know, we've, we're just so common to see, know who this person is. But this time around, you know, none of the superheroics was done by static. It was all done by virtual with just a little bit of static help. And not only that, but it really dived into those conversations that like you know i was really thinking about it this episode airing about 20 years ago it opened the door to more conversations to happen in the future like i really was sitting there thinking about i was like can virgil actually have his back checked at that point you know was the was the law when it comes to that you know and honestly one of it is just like you know you the police officer is supposed to give you some idea of why you're being searched and Virgil didn't receive that. So this comes into questions like was Virgil right to run? Was did Virgil play it safe? Was he, you know, all these things that you know we're knowing that he's being profiled here because one of the other things I'm gonna be honest about, Virgil and Royce don't look alike in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. But to the eyes of you know someone who has that bias that that they are basically going to see Virgil and Royce as one in one. So I think there was a lot of strong themes throughout Pop's Girlfriend, the concept of like you were saying with divorced parents finding new love and, you know, what does it mean to be a black person or at least a person of color in America? So when you have all of those themes thrown in there, it's it makes a strong episode that, again, makes sense, shows us both sides of the characters from both angles, from both, um, you know, both debates on what what should have been done like this at this point it's just like you know you can't say that anybody was completely in the wrong everybody had their reason but we had that shared understanding of why we saw that person as being right and then when we see now with um with bass stretch it's i think it's one of those stories it's like the really ironically it's a in, in its own way it's a very high kind of story but still grounded in its own way because it's talking about the interpersonal relationships between two brothers one who has fallen into the gang life and one who's just like you know i saw it as a part of my life but now i kind of really want out and it's a both of these episodes really show the tale as old as time of just like the racial profiling and you know trying to get out of the game but i think that pop's girlfriend just because of the fact that it covered so much is a better static episode but I will give Bass Stretch as a bet as probably one of the best episodes in the Rubber Band Man story arc that we see throughout the series. Because we are now three episodes deep with Rubber Band Man, and he is one of the most compelling side characters that I think I've been I've seen like in the in the last 20 years or so. It's amazing to kind of see his story grow from just what we thought was going to be a random villain one time to now being like this true trajectory of you know like can he truly become a hero is he you know to quote just to pull from avatar is he gonna find his honor like it's Uh, really it's just really cool to to see that so 
it is tough to choose say that this was the worst episode but by no way at all is this a bad episode yeah if you didn't bring up the zuko comparison i was going to the the story of (laughs) static does the whole series does such a great job at these putting these kids and other criminals into situations where they didn't want to do this Mm -hmm. but they found themselves in their life this life and they have the choice they always have the choice every time they appear whether to continue being a criminal or to try to make something of their life to try to leave that behind everyone gets a chance to reform sometimes you burn the school down even when you do get your chance Mm -hmm. but other times maybe you'll make a difference and maybe you'll make a different choice and that's what static believes in and it, it always makes for compelling um so yeah so no no this is not to shade bad stretch there's a fantastic episode on its own it is just competing with one of the best episodes you know it goes up there with frozen and the time he met Shaq. you know it's it's out there <laughs> <laughs> oh god what was the the what was that other one? The bug episode? Oh, I thought you were talking about the Eric yeah, Carter music video. But no, um, no. no, you're talking oh, about the... Uh... The 1%. The 1% <laughs> of germs episode. Yeah, the 1% of germs episode. The Paramecium, the scariest villain of all time. <laughs> A Carmandillo Paramecium. You know, those are the top two uh, static villains. <laughs> both both great episodes this week. And yeah, I this again, Sirius is such good at interweaving these social issues and these running themes of redemption and choice mm-hmm. it, it mm-hmm. just does it so well yeah and that wraps up our two episodes uh we don't really have much comic thing except we finally have a villain who is in the comics what yes shout out to aquamaria she is in the comics she is a milestone original creation not just for the tv series aquamaria can be found in the uh, Blood Syndicate comics. She's one of the members of the gang. But this time around, I'm really shocked that they made her a little bit of a villain here. She's very much a, um, I guess, like more of an anti-hero in the in the comics. She actually really cool thing about her. A majority, if not all of her dialogue in the comics is said in Spanish. So it's really cool just to see that they included um her character not only in the comics in this particular way to really connect with the Latino community through Milestone, the predominantly, you know, at first like a black production now turned into something where it's just like stepping out into really speaking with other people. But also to introduce her to the um to the TV series kind of really made us feel a little whole here because it was like really cool just to see her her come up. You know, it's like this even here it's like kind of like her story is very similar she joins this gang but she is still a good person which um i'm not going to dive too much into kind of like the story about because we do see her later on pop up in another episode of static that i think actually matches more of the comics so i'll save that info for another time but i will say that um also we do have probably one more comic reference the show that rubber band man was supposed to go on the variety show is actually the of a similar name of the show that he made his first appearance in in the comics. Ah, okay, so okay. So he, it wasn't just a lazy. <laughs> a lazy no, thing. it was. Yeah, he was. Um, he was supposed to. There was a show that they put together. It was kind of like not necessarily a variety show. It was more like Montel or Ricky Lake, where metahuman bang babies could come through and talk about what they're going through and everything. But what? Rubber Bandman used 
used it for instead at this time when he wasn't Adam Evans, but a different um, character um, by the last name. I think his name, again, was Carl Stringer. He used it to call out static. So to have it be that he was heading back onto another reality show of the same way, it was a really nice callback, which I think was really kind of like cool just to see again pop up for him and really add into the mythos of combining this history about Rubber Band Man to his um, animated production counterpart. And yeah, that's it for our comic book stuff. Again, this was just a very strong episode in talking about police relations a little bit and also just like, you know, the tough love aspects that we just try to see here about, you know, love is never, it's never going to be easy. This is, it's always going to be something where, you know, this is something you have to work at. I'm not saying it's going to be complicated, but it's definitely something you got to put in the work for. So glad to see that we got a sense of that from the episode of Pop's Girlfriend, in which he's you know, to really trying to create something new for himself and new for his family. While also in Bad Stretch, we see that brotherly love between um, Rubber Band Man and Ebon as once again, um, Adam is really trying to just, you know, Look out for Ivan by saying that, like, you know, I'm trying to get out the game. Maybe you can, too. But also, Ebon's still trying to protect his little brother because even from that one line, he said that, you know, once dad died, I had to become the man of the house. So it's just like there's a sense of love and protection that he wants to give to his brother, even though it didn't really come across in the most in the best way, we should say. Yeah. You know, Robert's line, I have a life and I'm not I'm going to live it. You can accept that or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely resonates with the first episode, and yeah, just the continuing issue uh, throughout the series of you know you're you're not you can love your siblings, but you don't have to follow them down a dark path if you're uncomfortable yeah. with it. Is just something that keeps coming back up, and it always is amazing to get reinforced. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps it up for us. Until then, take care of yourselves. And if you see a giant roach, just run run away. Uh, that that's my only word of advice. Don't be don't be Will Smith. Don't be Richie. I mean, if you feel confident in your skills, I guess. But I'm running, so you should too. Yeah. And if your employer asks you to transfer some questionable purple juice in a suitcase while handcuffed on the subway. Just call an Uber. <laughs>